At Chewy, we believe special moments with our pets don't have to cost more money, so you can save on your dog's favorite food, tasty treats for your cat, even prescriptions, all delivered right to your door. Save 30% on your first auto ship order up to $20. Visit Chewy.com today. Hello and welcome to week 44 of the Foot Weekly Podcast, potentially the last of the numbered podcasts for FIFA 20. We're likely to get FIFA 21 news, we know there's a trailer coming out uh, later this week, but I'll talk about what's coming up over the next month or two. That's all it is until FIFA 21 in the break. For now, an important thing to mention is that this is going out to everyone because next week's pod will be a foot information podcast for patrons. That one will be on formation counterpicking, which is a very often requested topic, and also talking about game plans, and Japes will talk us through how to craft the perfect tactic. Looking forward to that, and that FIFA 21 build-up as well. For now, though, we do talk a bit about, actually, how things will relate to FIFA 21 in terms of skill moves particularly, but we also have a lot of other interesting gameplay questions. We do cover a bit of content too, as well as Japes daring 433. So this is the Foot Weekly Podcast brought to you by all you supporters. Japes, it's a pleasure to have you again. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. So much for my on again, off again, you know, summer heat behavior. It's all on from this point it's forward. Like, what so glad to be back, Ben. The, the flip-flops on at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. Looking forward to having you back, hopefully for a little streak as well. And mm. uh, we've also got someone who can definitely help us out on gameplay from down under. It is Marcus Gomes. Thank you guys for having me on. Hello, hello. Uh, all the way down here in Australia. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. yeah, appreciate you uh, being up a bit later than most people <laughs> would record. What is it, nearly nearly midnight or something? Nearly midnight, yeah. Where you are. Japes, it's what, 8am or something for you? Oh yeah, 8am. I just woke up, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there we go. Um, all the time zones. And Marcus, for those who don't know, you are a uh, Melbourne City or Melbourne? How do we how do we pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Melbourne, Melbourne City. My accent would probably make it sound even more different. Yeah, yeah Melbourne City. Well, it sounds more authentic when you say it. <laughs> and that's part of the city group more widely, right? So yeah. Man City, New York City, right, as well. And are you run as a team despite being at different clubs? Yeah, yeah. so we had the same manager and we communicated uh, for a while now. Obviously, uh, Chris at New York and then we have uh, Shells and Ryan now at uh, City, mm. which is really nice to have in esports compared to just mm. being kind of on your own at a, at a club so i was gonna say it's like tennis in that it's quite individual but actually i guess maybe more like f1 where you have a team but you're still competing against your teammates sometimes i suppose yeah that's actually a really good comparison really, yeah actually think of it that way tennis is a good one too because you you kind of on your own on the pitch but you have a team a small team around you but it's definitely once you get out there it's, it's all you it's like it's no one else can really help you so um it's really nice to have the support of like top top players too like not just standard like favorite players these are some of the best players in the world as well so you can just bounce all your ideas with them too yeah and we're hoping to uh take advantage of some of that knowledge here we're going to start with gameplay because we've got you both on and i think even at this stage of the year there's still things we can pick up and use not only to test out now when the stakes aren't so high but also bring into our overall fifa game uh you know start uh, fifa 21 with in the back of our minds some of the best advice around and who better to bring in to discuss this kind of stuff than a pro player who's played at the top level so it's great to have you and actually our first question comes from an Australian he says hi from Australia yeah I saw that and <laughs> what he's asking is what advice would you give someone who seems to effectively get the ball into danger areas like the 18 yard box 
but seems unable to play effectively with their back to goal or efficiently to create space for a chance in a congested area. Much love from Australia. So this is a question I actually get quite a lot because especially in this game with everyone playing quite deep on defense, it's not too difficult to get into that position just outside the 18-yard box. And then Mm. usually it's the passing between the CDMs. And I assume what he's doing now is usually just passing between the CDMs until a passing lane opens up for his camera, his striker, and his 4-2-3-1, and then just maybe trying a fake shot or a drag back and then shooting. I think skill moves, I think, are extremely important. They almost animation glitch out the game in certain senses and like with defenders and um, people are very scared to manually tackle this year as well. So when you use a skill move, you can almost kind of get past that initial contain they either do with the AI or with LT with jockey. I think an instant, an instant fake shot always works. If you have a five-star skiller, an instant scoop turn always works as well. Uh, scoop turn and, you know, the classic near post shot this year. I think those, those two are really two things that you really need to master in your game, especially if he's got the likes of, you know, Ribéry or Dembele, uh, Vinicius Jr., all these cards that have come out now. It makes it very simple to kind of, unfortunately, rinse and repeat that over and over again mm. um, until you either get lucky or your opponent guesses the wrong way or you just get the right animation. Um, you can add in things like Elasticos and stuff. That's probably much more advanced compared to a fake shot or a scoop turn. Honestly, Probably the simplest way I've seen people score this year uh, in certain time of the box when they've got the back to goal. It's a quick scoop turn, first time, even after a touch or two, and they just they just hit it. They don't really overthink it. They just. Um, but I'm I'm interested to see what James has to say about this because mm. I was just trying to tell him that probably the most OP way to do it. Yeah, you know, you do. For me, this is you just think about what players do in real life, and when you pass that ball into them with. They're back to goal. You do what any smart striker would do, and you try to shuffle back and forth over and over and over again until your opponent tries to guess one way, right? You you have to have high agility players to be able to do this. I'm obviously being a bit sarcastic here because the, the meta for FIFA is to really just try to create like half an inch of space to be able to turn. And that's why high, high agility players with high ball control and high dribbling are so important because they allow you to sort of use... Yeah, a little bit of like left bumper or they're able you're able to change directions really quickly with the drag back and Marcus's point with like the broken animations like the drag back is included in there because there are times when you're standing ready to take the ball away and the drag back sort of just like teleports the ball through your feet but for me that's not an aspect of my game that I am particularly good at because my brain doesn't seemingly function that way and so oftentimes what I'm trying to do is I'm looking for that I, I tend to look for that like extra pass as a layoff. I've started playing with my striker oftentimes on with target man on stay central. And I use them kind of as a force to look for a layoff of a, a player that's steaming into the box to try to get a, what is unfortunately always going to be a near post shot away if you're trying to be competitive. So I, I think it's, it really depends on who you're using as a striker and what your situation that you're playing in. Like if you're playing with a small player at striker, like that, that sort of target man style is going to be really, really challenging. And I would, in my head, oftentimes I end up in those situations kind of deciding what I'm going to do with the ball before I even get it. Even if it's like a quick scoop turn or switch to the side. And like, if you can get half, like half a yard or like a couple feet in game or a, half a meter of space whatever it might be you can 
shoot a power shot at the near post and it's going to go in. So I, I would say one thing that I tend to do is I overcomplicate it and I want the perfect opportunity. And I think you would be surprised how many, t- how many shots will go in if you take some more half chances. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Shooting first time as well. It was a real thing last year, wasn't it? But it still works quite well this year. Mm. So what I quite like doing, it's become even more effective with Ibrahimovic, is doing a sombrero flick when he's backed into a centre-back and providing you're not too far into the penalty box. Just doing that and then as the ball's coming over his head, taking a shot, I've scored actually quite a few goals like that, especially if Mm -hmm. the opponent's centre-back is one of the maybe lighter weight, not so tall centre-backs. If it's someone like Virgil van Dijk, who's the same height as Ibrahimovic, sometimes he'll just sort of jump and chest it or head it away. But if it's a smaller centre-back, even slightly smaller, not a giant, basically, you do get it over their head a surprising amount of times and it can create a few opportunities. And it's a lot of fun to score as well, of course. And I think there are a lot of different options that you have in the box, but... I think I mentioned this not that long ago, actually, and it's something that I don't see so many people doing. Marcus, I'd be interested to know whether you're doing it yourself, but you know you can use RB to take a sort of disguised first touch mm. in a direction. Yeah, It's quite a new mechanic, but I find it quite useful. You know, if you're doing it, I don't know, without pressing a direction, the ball will just run through your legs. But if you hold a direction that isn't the direction that the ball would go through your legs, they'll actually do a fake to one side and then take the ball the other way and every now and again in the box that can just completely open up the chance the ball has to be coming directly into the player and they need to be facing away from goal but if you do that and take a first time shot or even maybe throw in um, a heel to heel or something if you want a bit more space it's actually really 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 effective and I hope they keep that in the game actually next year it's one of those things that's come into the game more recently and you never know whether these things will stay but it is really good uh, I'd recommend people try it this is a good time to play about with those kind of things but I think they're all very good suggestions actually if there's one sort of skill that you would recommend it's always interesting to find out um, from pro players uh, apart from obviously the drag back <laughs> what would be the skill that you'd encourage people to learn and maybe not one that's necessarily particularly great one this year but is generally a good one to, to learn Depends how many people play with five-star skill attackers because it's not super common to have a five-star mm. skill attacker because I'd say unless you're at the like the very elite in terms of your foot team, a lot of players will be 4-4 four, four or five-star we put four-star skills. So that kind of takes out mm. the scoop turn, which I think is just a ridiculously strong skill move. I mean, you can kind of just scoop with the ball and have all this momentum at the same time and you can also shoot during the animation too. So it's that mm. is definitely a move that I think is... Crazy good because you can go either way. Um, obviously, the four-star skills have the scanning scoop turn, but depending on how uh, responsive the game is and responsive your player is, it can be quite a slow skill move. So besides the drag back, uh, I mean, the, all, the well-known Lacroqueta is also still has a part, point in this game, which is crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you do the stop up and then to the Lacroqueta? Yeah, so that's that's that's, that's something that you see now come back into the meta, like this FIFA as it's gone on. People kind of said, oh, the skill moves bad. And then all it takes is a couple of people to get back onto that ride and then people get back onto using it. And now it's extremely obvious when I play a game week league and as soon as I see a fake shot, I'm almost expecting it now. Um, the thing is though, mm-hmm. the animation can be uh, so frustrating to stop because they, if they have a very strong or very high agility, high balance with some strength player, they can just kind of go through you still kind of like the face shot uh boost so and then they can also go either way when they hit the button they can if they've stopped with enough time that's probably the biggest issue they can go either way so it forces you to back off mm. which can allow a pass to the top of the box or whatever but i think like Keto is 
and scoop turns of very, very simple skill moves to learn that can really um, just punish players that are too aggressive or too passive. You know, it's interesting when people talked about it at the beginning of the year, the reason it just wasn't that effective is because players didn't have the ratings that they have now. And so to Marcus's point, like now you've got everybody with their 99 agility, 99 balance and wild acceleration. So they're coming, they're executing the move way, way more quickly. And they're coming out of it way faster than they would have earlier on in the game. And so that move has become so, so tricky to defend, especially because you're basically playing a 50-50 guessing game if you want to try to take it away from them in that motion, in that moment, because they can go left, they can go right, and you have to guess one way or another. And if you guess the wrong way, they're gone and they're past you. So, you know, Marcus is right. You have to back off in those instances. Otherwise, like, you're going to get toasted 50% of the time because nobody's going to guess right 100% of the time. Mm. If you're a player that's on the Elite 3 level and you struggle getting Elite 1, one of the differences is going to be their ability to use skill moves in correct situations. And I firmly believe that that's a differentiator more often than not because it makes them, it brings them up to a level of unpredictable behavior that the elite three player maybe doesn't have in their arsenal. What I was thinking we should move on to talk about here is skill move chaining obviously was nerfed massively this year. And realistically, you probably can't do more than two skills one after the other. I was wondering, Marcus, because I get the feeling that they maybe took it too far this year. Do you think, even to someone who maybe doesn't do so many skills as as your opponents, do you think that they have gone too far or would, do you want it to stay as it is or are you looking for things to return to how they were in previous FIFAs? Yeah, I'm still on the fence with it. I find it very interesting because as someone who, I guess, faced the full wrath of the skill moving last year and, you know, I've had text <laughs> do the, triple, the, the quadruple elastigo on me multiple times and things like that where I just thought, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't even drool properly with my R9, but he's doing four elastigos in a row, just no issue whatsoever. And then at the same time, I see him try to just do simple-esque ch- uh, chains this year. And without uh, implementing a, just a bit of pause or hesitation or a ball roll, it just doesn't work. And it's, it's instant loss of the ball. So when I watch him and players like Gorilla and I see the skill move combos that they have down, which I do consider like skills because um, it's one thing to be able to do them. But as Jabe said, you got to know the time and when to do them. you gotta, you got to actually not mess it up as well, um, which is an important factor. And I feel like they've gone slightly too far, but it'd be nice if there was kind of a more uh, detailed look into it in terms of what chains actually should work and what chains shouldn't work because two, three elasticos in a row, like definitely shouldn't work because this is not really possible. But when I see a step over combo into a Berber spin or a Megidi spin and I see the exit being extremely slow after a couple of step overs, I kind of wonder to myself, is that really, especially when they're put with mm. players like Neymar or Ronaldinho, I'm thinking, is that really realistic? Like, they're so I'd love to see what you guys think about that because I've gone back and forth with players who skill a lot and also don't skill a lot and everyone seems like they've gone too far but no one really knows where they should stop. I was actually thinking about this as you were you were talking about it and related to one of the comments that you made earlier, I think there's this is this is the problem with you can have it one way or the other but you can't I guess have your cake and eat it too in a sense of I think I would actually prefer the ability to 
chain skill moves together in a sense but the the problem is the way the gameplay is coded seemingly skill moves have a knack and i think i feel like it's probably been this way for years so for sort of like glitching by defenders versus actually feeling like a fluid skill that you can actually like break up as a defender so Mm. i mean marcus you talked about it earlier where like you know, you throw a skill move in the box and sometimes the animation, you just sort of blow by them. Like imagine if you could chain those animations together over and over and over again, that would create for like a real, real problem in the game. So for me, I think the perfect world is the ability to chain skill moves together, but for defenders to properly interrupt a skill move while it's happening with a with a well-timed tackle or jockey or body movement right like if you use a skill move and try to roulette into a defender and virgil van dyke you hit him like square in the chest that should be fine you shouldn't just sort of like go around him and the ball sort of like magics through him um and so i think unfortunately i don't know how hard that is to figure out and i don't even know if that's possible on frostbite so knowing that fifa 21 is a frostbite engine like i don't that i don't foresee skill moves as being something that can change but i think in a perfect world you give the user entire control over their ability to chain skill moves together mind you the effectiveness of whether or not they can pull off a skill move there's still there still needs to be some level of input there so it's not perfect with every single player I think that is probably what they want to look at longer term. One thing that I would say in terms of a simple fix is I really think that they should not apply a chaining penalty to skills which are different. And so, you know, you should have a chaining penalty if you're doing like three elasticos in a row. But if you're doing an elastico and then a roulette, that would be fine. And I also think that maybe there is more to be done around almost the position the ball ends up in uh, when you finish the skill move and whether you can then chain the next skill. And also, I guess there's the thing around surely certain skills you just wouldn't be able to do chain because they are almost too much movement, especially spins. Like You shouldn't be able to do a roulette to a McGeady spin to a side spin because your player's doing so many rotations that they're just going to end up dizzy, right, by the end of it. Where's the so I think, flick, Ben? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that as well. I mean, you know, you could go on. There are actually a lot of skills which involve complete rotations, which do make people dizzy, right? You can't mm. do a ton of spins in a row. So if we relax chaining, which I would like to see, I, I think it's important. I think the game's more fun for it. I think there has to be certain skills which can't be chained because it just feels unrealistic. You know, I, I love that idea that you're penalized i suppose for certainly chaining the same skill move together over and over again i love that now i think as a user what you're talking about where the physics of certain skills going together like don't make sense i think that perhaps is like a user experience ends up really really tricky but i think there's a way to do it where you can you you certainly can let people try it I, I'm with you like it shouldn't if you're spinning one direction and then magically doing a flick the other direction like that's just not realistic but that goes that goes to the core of the conversation of like is this a video game or is this a simulation right mm-hmm. and 
I think that's you would have people on both sides of that fence saying, well, those moves aren't realistic to chain together. So like, I don't want to see that in my game. It, it takes away from the game experience. And some people saying, dude, it's a video game. If I want to throw those skill moves together, let me throw those skill moves together. And I like understand that argument as well. I think the other part that needs to be taken into consideration is like, we talk about executing the skill moves a lot, but really I think the issue, the more I think about it, it boils down to chaining becomes a non-issue if there are good ways to defend skill moves not like good manual ways to defend skill moves right and i think if you think about a lot of these super technical skill moves that people are doing if a defender gets a body on them they're not going to be able to do the skill move properly or the ball is going to bounce away or you know like in real life like the the impact is going to be significant and in the game as it currently stands if you get even if you get a body on them, oftentimes they still sort of like glitch past you if they mm -hmm. like if it's kind of ish timed okay or like it'll be a foul or like I just there has to be a happier medium, I think, in between. Whereas a defender, when I guess when I think about my time actually playing, if you're playing like a tricky player, you would want to get a body on them, right? Because they are less tricky if you can get your body obviously between them and the ball, but like, or like feel out what they're doing. And in FIFA, I, I don't think that medium exists in its current state. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree with that, especially. And also the uh, chaining of the same skill move. Uh, one, I don't want to bring it up too much. I'm not, I'm not obsessed with the scoop term, but I do want to bring it up because it's definitely one that was chained a lot last year. It's just a scoop turn, scoop turn. And you, you've almost kind of teleporting with the ball stuck to your foot, kind of like the ball's what's super glued to your foot. And the centre-back, as Jason said, you couldn't manually defend it very well because if you bodied them, they kind of just bump off you at a time or just go straight past you. And I'm like, I'm talking Van Dyke versus R9 kind of situation. Also, they would do animations that are far from ideal, the ones where they stick their arm out, the ones where they just kind of lunge in and just think that the player's going to shoot. Little animations that completely just give you no chance as a defender. To, against a skill move that is not only so easy to execute, but you can chain it with no punishment and um, it gives you a boost. I think that's something I've noticed a lot this year with stepovers is that the exit speed from a stepover is incredible compared to just starting to sprint with the ball. I'd like to see if the chaining comes back, maybe the boost for certain skill moves with certain players too is reduced. And I understand this is a lot for them to do, which is why I don't think it would happen because the boost alongside if they bring chaining back makes it much harder for defenders to keep up alongside if there's still animations that aren't ideal in the game. I agree. I, I like what you're saying a lot. I think when I when I think about like really annoying, like good FIFA players that abuse mechanics, like they're doing ball rolls all over the place, like with everybody in the midfield all the time. I find myself being like, what are you doing, man? Like, this is so annoying to play against. Like, it's just abusing a little bit of a game mechanic. And me being like a purist who wants a proper, you know, soccer or football simulation, like things like that tend to take it away. And so I, it's like a philosophical, do you want to incentivize players to play the game as a simulation? Or are you on the side of like, we're going to just give them the inputs and much like the game itself like once the whistle blows you can do whatever you want out there bar like fouls and tackling that sort of thing but when you like have the ball do anything you want bar picking it up with your hands and or are you saying we're building us like the best simulation game in the world and if that's the case how do we make the game fun while still making it feel realistic so there's like a lot of i think 
fundamental philosophical questions that as EA thinks not towards FIFA 21, but FIFA 22 that will undoubtedly have to be built on a new engine for the new consoles. I think those are the questions at the core of where the game needs to develop that identity. And it's in some ways you're thinking about like what people do want, but it's also like at some point you're going to have to take a stand on what you believe. And I think it's interesting. Pez, I think is doing this right now. They're skipping Pez 21 in favor of building a better game for next gen. And Mm. it'll be really, really interesting to see how that plays out. Because to me, they're asking themselves those philosophical questions at the moment and saying like, I don't think Pez has had an identity in years, right? And at its core, we can debate back and forth what we think it should be because philosophically, we're all going to have differences. But EA needs to define, like if I were to ask you what FIFA 21 is, and like the answer for FIFA 21 is a core game or FIFA 20 is a core game versus ultimate team is a core game. I think people would have philosophical differences about the, the game and the game mode. And so I think as a user, I just want that to be made clear, like what it is that I'm playing. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I think that feeds nicely into what we've just discussed in terms of skill moves being a kind of key component of that thought process, I think, because foot was always seen to be a fun juiced up version of your regular fifa for people to have fun enjoy and you know the competitive scenes come along there are positive things about that of course um but one of the things it has done is maybe put under scrutiny a lot of the mechanics in the game which can be exploited and one of those was definitely skill moves and hence we saw it being nerfed very significantly this year and you do wonder as you were just saying japes where do EA see themselves putting the game is it something that is a lot of fun and we don't really worry too much about the realism of doing those skills or is it you know a case that we want to make sure that it's a proper football simulator or and I would say this is a third category do we make it optimized for competitive play I think the three things are actually different a proper football simulator competitive football simulator and fun casual football simulator they're three different things and i think that's the big challenge for ea trying to balance between those and i think what they'll do is continue to try and balance all three things but there's probably another discussion that we should have about what is the best way for ea to go and whether there should even be you know a separate mode within foot which is competitive for example but i wanted to bring up this question because it fits in really nicely with what we were just talking about hugh says would you be okay with ea basically taking a year off making any real changes to the game other than fixing bugs which is what pez are doing if it meant the following year there was a drastic overhaul of foot it feels like ea only ever make incremental improvements to the game and don't have the ability to address underlying gameplay issues in one cycle it seems at this rate, those issues will never be addressed until they start from scratch. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think what they've done in the past, if they want to do massive changes, is essentially have two different teams working on games at the same time to make sure that's possible. Marcus, what do you think? Would you be happy to see that? I suppose it would maybe kill the hype for next year's game if they decided to do this, but you can see the logic behind it. Yeah, yeah. I personally, I would be okay with this happening. Of course, like, it'd be with how it works out that the whole, say they did it in FIFA 21 and they they waited bring out 22 on the new console, uh, on the new engine, etc, etc. I mean, I would be okay with it because 
you, you've got to think of it from the point of view of, of if they do continue going this way, I think as Hugh says, like I think the issues will always be in the game and you brought up a good point about how I guess the competitive aspect in esports has only just made those issues even worse because of uh, pro players, a competitive player, they're just trying to do whatever it takes to win in a sense. So if they really, if they came out to the public and said, like Pez, hey, we're going to just uh, basically not release anything until we have a game ready on the new console. Uh, we're going to try and fix uh, a lot of the issues. And they took ideas and like feedback, extreme, like extremely good feedback from the community from all areas. They have so much that they maybe want to do or even they that they could do. And it just doesn't get done because of the deadline to hit uh, to get the game out. So, I mean, I would be down with it. Would it ever happen? That's probably not, let's be honest. But uh, I, I would be I would be okay with it. Of course, like the that FIFA that comes out where it's literally FIFA 21 put into like, that's basically FIFA 20. I mean, it would be far from ideal. But if one year of waiting for hopefully many future years of a better FIFA, uh, I think it's worth it. So it's interesting and a really fun question to debate and think about it's pure suicide and it would never ever make sense to do that for them frankly i don't think i would want to see them do that either now what i would like to see them do and what was not business suicide is to say hey we make millions and millions if not billions of dollars on this we can afford to hire a group of people to focus on games like two years apart in a sense allowing for more time to master specifics. Now, there's a many like a multitude of reasons that that doesn't make sense, but I think when you're talking about a new engine and a next-gen console, like this is the one instance where I think you can make a case that we can devote some additional resources and additional funds so that the game that comes out with the next-gen console or for the next-gen console actually bangs. And I'm talking about beyond just gameplay itself, but also like fundamentally at its core, I think it's it's so easy. And I know this from experience. It's so easy to get into a rut of, well, this is just always how we've done things because don't get it twisted. EA has to make money on Ultimate Team because they have shareholders that demand it. So hiring additional people is going to cut into that margin. So it's tricky to even make the case to be able to do that when you already have such an incredible market share and such engagement over the course of a year. But when it comes to your core gameplay and user or customer experience from what it was at FIFA 10 to what it is now, I would have expected to see more changes. Yeah, exactly. And we talked a lot about, you know, the rapid cycle being a problem for the game. There's no doubt it has been. And also, you know, the there are benefits to that. And for me, I think if the cycle length was any longer, I think that would be a shame because I like the way that the game has that refresh each year. And it would be a shame to lose that by them, you know, skipping a year when, as you say, they do have the resources to commit more hours, employing more staff in order to achieve great results. But it will take additional spend, which we wonder whether they will be willing to part with but anyway uh, i wanted to get back into some gameplay questions proper and actually thor's here has uh, an interesting question which maybe some of us take for granted he says please help me with the question i've been thinking about for ages i have a left-footed center back langley and a right-footed one Militao. many people would place automatically the right-footed center back on the right and the left-footed one on the left i want to know why that is what is the best thing to do on foot i think that it's more natural to play a left-footed center back on the right 
and vice versa. So I guess the wrong way around to the perceived wisdom. He's saying that most safer, easier passes from a centre-back go to the full-back on his side of the pitch. And if a left-footed player is playing on the left, he'll have to turn more to face the left-back. Um, whereas, you know, if they're right-footed, it's quicker to play the pass. As a right-footed centre-back playing on the left, they'll cover better and easier in dangerous finesse shot situations from outside the box with their strong foot. And he's saying, is he wrong? Is there a reason why people tend to do it the other way around? And we did have a good response here. Hugh says... In my opinion, it's best to match the foot to the side. And here's why. If the centre-back is playing the ball down the line to the full-back or the winger, he's using the outside of the foot closer to the line to get it around the opponent's defender. If he's playing a pass across the back to the other CB, you actually want him to use his stronger foot so that if the pass is overhit, it will curve naturally behind the receiver. Rather than if it's a left-foot player who uses his right foot, then a misplaced pass would actually go further up the field and likely straight into the striker. Regarding covering shots with the strong foot, I'm not sure if that's true, but if so, I would want the left-footed centre-back on the left to block the opponent's near-post shots. And I guess, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially with the sort of near-post meta this year. Marcus, what do you think about that? With someone like Militao, you do have to think about it. I mean, he's got like two-star weak foot, so... I think the biggest thing for me that I've noticed, um, something that I've actually conceded a lot of events is... When someone's going down the byline with their winger and they're coming almost uh, vertically up towards the goal and you tackle them and the opponent's on press, if you've got a two-star weak foot with Militao on the left center back, it is borderline impossible to play the ball down the line for a clearance or even to your left back. Obviously, the top players or anyone will know that and they'll squeeze you either to make that pass and it's probably going out of bounds, if I'm being honest, or turn back inside and you're playing really at that point, probably your hospital pass into your DM or or your, or your goalkeeper to clear it. That's always been a reason that I never really talk about, but it's something that I've experienced a lot of times when I'm at an event. Like, okay, I, I, these are two great centre-backs, but I really need to have a good passer. That's uh, They're both usually right-footed. I need to have a good passer on the left here. So when my opponent does eventually press, I can comfortably chip it out to the left side of the wing. But also the point with playing the ball to your winger or your fullback with the strong foot, I think is such a such a natural thing. And it's something that I've just taken from watching football soccer in real life. And I just implemented it straight into FIFA. Uh, no real thoughts about how I can potentially abuse that uh, in FIFA. I think that's maybe a downside of my mentality in terms of competitive FIFA, but it's something that I've never really thought about the other side because I, I almost feel like I think this is right. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to point out is if the goalkeeper is playing it to your centre-back, the thing that you will almost always do is play it to your full-back. Imagine you're playing the ball from your goalkeeper to a centre-back. When the centre-back receives the ball, he's facing your goal. What he wants to do is get the ball across to the full-back. And when he does that, if he's right-footed on the right, when he turns to make that pass, he's turning but he's turning back to the defender, right? To make that pass on his right foot at the earliest opportunity. Whereas if he's left-footed, he's kind of got to do this like much more full turn. He's got to rotate himself further in order to play the pass with the left foot. That probably is very hard to visualize, but when you next have a goal kick, which I'm sure you will, <laughs> just play it to your centre-back and notice when you're playing it to their full-back, you do the pass facing your own goal almost. 
and that actually isn't possible if the player's left-footed i believe so that is that is definitely something to note on this but yeah i I think we've covered that it is an interesting one and i really don't think that weak foot makes much difference in terms of defending it's something that if it doesn't i think they should look at because in real life it's so significant but uh, my understanding is it doesn't if the things change and you know that isn't the case there is maybe an argument for changing things up depending on the meta right if everyone's cutting inside maybe it does make sense then to have a left-footed player on the right but in general i think and certainly the moment makes it so much easier to pass out on that then let's take a break and we'll be back in just a moment So in this break, as it's going out to everyone, I wanted to talk to you about the Foot Information podcast because I know that our supporters will probably be quite aware having maybe even signed up to listen to them or just caught them and therefore understand what they're all about. But for those who aren't supporters so won't have heard them, they're basically foot audio guides. And this is something that I've always wanted to do and has been made possible by having supporters and allowing me to commit more time to the pod, which has been fantastic. And the idea is that they'll all help you gain knowledge that will help improve your team or improve your ability at the game. And the first one was picking players, traits and work rates. And then we did uh, what every attribute does. I think that is probably the most definitive guide out there to in-game stats. And then more recently we did the League SBC method, which is a great way of, without too much thought, grinding out SBCs uh, to make coins. And then we also did very recently the connection episode, which is all about improving your connection, which will give you an advantage in terms of gameplay. And then next week, of course, we're going to do that one on tactics and formation counterpicking. Very much looking forward to that. So if you want to get involved with that, signing up for the patron is just $3 a month and you get access to the most recent one. If you double that, you'll get access to the entire back catalogue of information podcasts and you'll also get loads of other perks as well which you can find over at bit.ly slash more pod to check out the foot information podcast specifically you go to bit.ly slash foot information so that's bit.ly slash foot information but that's enough for this break let's get back into the pod from regular expenses to occasional splurges there's a lot to buy why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello and welcome back after the break. I've still got Jace with me and I've got Marcus. Marcus, your first ever Foot Weekly break. How was that? It was actually uh, really nice. Uh, it's been a great podcast so far. I'm looking mm. forward to talking about a few more things, yeah. but yeah, I really enjoyed the break. Good. That's what I'd like to hear. And you're actually talking about in the break, don't like to reveal too much of what went on, but this is relevant. The RTG that you started, uh, it's interesting because a lot of people say, you know, what would you do at this point if you wanted to play more foot, but we're feeling a bit apathetic about playing but felt that there was still some fun to be had on the game and actually you started again on a new account um, and I guess that must have been something that reinvigorated things a little bit yeah for sure so I think I've been on the account for just over a week now and I did it for a multitude of reasons but definitely it was just to bring that 
kind of desire to play FIFA again, starting from the bottom. I mean, most of us now would probably have extremely stacked clubs and we're kind of picking and choosing between what EA uh, releases and just kind of nitpicking it. Okay, let me take that card. Let me not take that card. But obviously on a road to glory, you, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So uh, I was really enjoying that side of it. A small thing is that because uh, it's, it's kind of hard to find games in uh, Div Rivals here in ANZ. So it was, it was nice to start back at my... Uh, around Div 5 after my placement games and just find games instantly. Mm. I've had a couple of people also say to me that they've started again and they've, they've really enjoyed it. But I guess the one thing you have to do when you start a Road to Glory at this stage of a game or when anytime you are behind the power curve in FIFA or any game is that you have to almost drop any type of uh, ego or any type of expectation of how good you are at FIFA because you are playing at a severe disadvantage, of course. Um, mm. If you think you're good enough, I mean, those games I was going against Prime Nine and Hoot in Div Five, and I've, I had Bolly and Saka at the back for the French challenge, and I just <laughs> I lost five four, but I, I was trying, and I was like, but it wasn't a big deal. But people were like, "Oh, you would have beat him if you had, you had your main team." Like, it doesn't matter to me. That's mm. something that I think some people have struggled with in terms of just they start a road to glory and they start having fun, but when they start losing, they they almost uh, cry. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, like a couple of people in the Discord have mentioned doing this and having a good time. I think. Providing you have the mentality to to do it, uh, as you say, I think it could be really fun just to try some different players. But the, as you were saying, the quality of player that you're going to come up against in terms of players on the pitch rather than necessarily the, the uh, user is really high. And actually, you know, this is something that I think is worth mentioning. We've been asked a few times about overall thoughts on Summer Heat. And don't get me wrong, the selection of players has been great. They've really picked out some key areas to give special cards to, which maybe didn't have enough love previously and they've also uh, done some very good objectives in terms of the format you know objectives which people probably wanted to see much earlier in the year but one criticism I'd have of it is I was really impressed around team of the season and before that with the diversity of squads that you were seeing like the teams certainly you know elite three and downwards it might be different elite one and two when you've got those very 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 top players that are just picking off the the very best but uh, beyond that i felt it was pretty diverse i was seeing quite a different selection of leagues clubs um you know some icons here and there but mostly uh, team of the season cards for birthday and yeah it wasn't like we were seeing scream cards but it, it was pretty diverse but now you know because the likes of rebri and so on are really better than most team of the season players and much more obtainable and they're new as well, they're just completely dominating every team you play, which is a shame considering how the rest of the year was in terms of diversity. It hasn't been sustained and it doesn't look like we're going to end the year with a big variety of players in people's teams. One thing, though, about Summer Heat, which gives me hope for next year, is actually the Summer Showdown SBCs we've seen where, you know, you get two players competing against each other in a real game for an upgrade which I think is really really good and has driven a lot of interest I think if you look at uh, the socials and things like that it's been really positive around it and I hope they continue that into FIFA 20 from earlier in the year because I can see it being a really really positive addition and the cards that we've had from that have actually been fairly interesting and the whole dynamic of it is really good so that's a big positive and hopefully something we see from as I should have said the start of FIFA 21. Now, a player that's provoked some discussion that isn't a showdown player is that Summer Heat Paul Pogba, which, Japes, I know you've used. 
I mean, he seems good value for 250k, but there's been differing opinions. Sure, like, if you're a huge France fan or United fan or Pogba fan in general, like, you get to see Paul Pogba running around on the pitch, and it's the best version of him that you're going to see this year. So if you are one of those people that is a, and I applaud this, like a truther towards your favorite clubs and your favorite players, and regardless of whether or not they're quote-unquote meta, you want to use them anyway, like I was telling the guys during the break that I used a, an entire Bayern like front five, including that Kingsley Komen and like Serge Gnabry's team of the season card and Thomas Muller's team of the season card, Kimmich and Lewandowski as my attack. And like, yeah, I, I was absolutely behind the power curve and got myself into situations that were, I would have been fine with if I'd had Ribery or if I'd had Vinicius but I had to had to think twice about how I played it. But like Pogba is going to be one of the, he's like, you've got some like really nice stats, but there are better options and easier to link better options out there and available. So he looks like Paul Pogba running around. The five-star skills are fun. But like, if you're trying to put together the most competitive midfield, he's not making it in there. And is it that lack of acceleration, agility and balance, which really... Yeah, sure. Like it's, you know, you even look at like Prime Zidane, right? Who Mm. has the like agility balance issue and people are like, yep, 96 rated Prime Zinedine Zidane, not good enough anymore. And that's that's where we are with the power curve. So I used him this weekend and I can confirm that's true. (laughs) Yeah, Pogba falls in. Like how sad is that, that these, these top rated icons are like no longer even close to the power curve i just think this year the power curve got way way out of hand and yeah i think they did um, so well for so long though that's the thing it's like they they did they did really well but i think that you know i think they realized later on that they could give interesting stat increases and Mm. boosts and so when you think towards like foot birthday shapeshifters there were some promos like that that i thought were really nice and fun that didn't break like entirely break the power curve the power curve is just like entirely shot and which you might say is fair right like it's the end of the game cycle yeah, yeah, yeah. who Some cares like just make them five star five star give them 99 stats across the board remember they have to be french though as well that's the that's the only oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. oh i've been talking about that to people just like yeah if rabio if rabio <laughs> wins <laughs> oh, over rabio Pulisic, wins. i'm gonna lose oh, my man. mind i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to people listening to this knowing who's won and <laughs> so yeah yeah i think it's a good point Pop, but what chemistry style did you end up did you have one on uh, i used i think i used engine initially i tried him with shadow as well and he's just not good enough either way so like the yeah, only way cool. the only way that you could use him is as like one of your attacking dms in a 4-2-3-1 there he's like quote-unquote usable ish but still there are better options available so it's like for me it's like unless you're a huge paul pogba fan why are you shelling out 250k when you could get mm, yeah. potentially a better option he's an interesting card it's almost like i mean he's tall really tall that's the issue so but like above 80 for both stats just to get rid of that factor because you have to deal with an engine or you have to deal with the shadow and either way you're missing out on one or the other and everyone's been saying the same thing regarding that pogba card and he's only not really saying like they're not really getting any not hate but people aren't really angry about it because he's so not cheap, but good value. So, mm. um, and he's French, and he, and he's from United. So, links to that Bruno. So, everyone's kind of happy in a sense, and uh, people that want to deal him, as you said, James has said, like they'll do him. But if you're looking for those, those that are listening that have those elite of elite cards, uh, stick with uh, probably what you've got, or look for a you know team that's in Frank De Jong or any any other really. There's a lot of really good CDMs that surpass him in the meta sure yeah yeah in fact it may be even vidal another spc we've had recently yeah. you know he's actually got 85 agility 87 balance 
dribbling is maybe the only thing that's lacking but you know you put a shadow on him he's basically got maxed out pace defending physical passing shooting is outstanding I mean he's high high work rate as well so he looks like a basically more effective option but I mean obviously Pogba's more fun and it's Pogba I, I can see why people would do him also the links as well they're very helpful it's an interesting one it's certainly um, a good demonstration of how important agility and balance are so speaking of cards that agility and balance that emre shan card that came out that you have to grind like an outrageous amount for at this point in the game is like again lacking in agility balance acceleration sprint speed so like he's not going to be amazing but like who is grinding for these cards at this stage yeah it's very strange like it's so odd like for level 30 crazy it's so odd man xp for a martial with Four star, four star. Yeah, he looks like good on card value, but like, why doesn't he have five star skills or even just double five star? Like, I'm, I'm so surprised. It's they've made it a hundred thousand XP. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that before. A hundred thousand XP to choose one of these cards. Only one of them too, as well. You have to choose one. You don't get all three, which I find is absolutely mental. And mm-hmm. um, I saw a couple of people tweeting out about how like United fanboys will grind all the way to get this Martial. But I find that just insane, considering that that Martial was great, but Bruno is also brilliant and, okay, took up time, but this is a lot of time. I just, yeah, I'm lost for words almost. <laughs> yeah, I wanted so. to quickly say, though, that Bernadeschi card actually looks kind of decent. Like, I know you're going to have to grind to level 30, which just seems ridiculous at this point, and it will take you many weeks to get him. But if you look at his stats, and he's got a four-star week for upgrade, uh, he's got five-star skills as well, uh, he's actually quite strong he looks potentially pretty decent but again like you know yeah. give it to us now as a level 15 reward or whatever the lower threshold is um for getting these storyline cards and people actually use him and, and get him into their teams mm. and stuff and uh, it just seems kind of crazy i actually wanted to ask you marcus um if you're going to go up to uh, level 15 right on your rtg like which card would you be picking Oh, I mean, the, it's really interesting. And Tete looks really good, but I'm thinking in my team how I'd link him. And I'm already struggling to like, think how... I'd probably just play him on 8 chem at right back, which is fine. But then to grind all that way to pick up a fullback when I've already got Mendy, Resilient, and Mbabu would probably not be ideal as well. Um, and then Andre Gomes has that agility balance issue, which is just... I, I find it crazy every time I, I say that kind of phrase that two stats have such an impact on the whole gameplay uh mm. of fever and then i'll be honest morales looks like the standard pre-tots and tots attacker that has will be well and truly eclipsed by the time i get him he'll I mean he'll be probably a nice super sub i probably will get andre gomes just because he links with bruno um and i will just deal with the agility and balance issues with an engine and just deal with being behind the power curve because at this point i just want to i'll try him out to so p- other people don't have to try him out and look, they can also see if he's worth it or not. But if this was like a situation I had to decide during the peak of the game, it'd be quite difficult and really frustrating that two stats can have such big impact on a player that looks overall pretty decent. I'm going to just jump in as well. I think that's a great analysis. The one thing I would point out for those thinking about taking Morales is he has one like surprisingly better defensive stats offering like mm. limited usability if you were to use like a powerhouse or guardian you could probably get away as playing him playing him as a cm in a three-man midfield but also as an attacker whether you would go like sniper cam or marksman cam whatever's your, whatever floats your boat he does have the outside the foot and the finesse shot which i think truly do bring a an attacker to like it takes him up a level versus a player that has the exact same ratings and none of those traits one thing i would say right here's something that if you're not a fan of skills so you can deal with a three-star skill move player 
the Belotti that came out is actually a ridiculous player. He has really, really high balance and agility. You're probably going to put engine on him because his shooting's basically maxed apart from long shots. His dribbling stats with engine are pretty much maxed out apart from 91 composure. He's got 95 short passing. He's got 97 acceleration and sprint speed. And all his physical stats are around 95. Uh, he's 5'11", so he's tall enough. And I played against him in weekend league and I really struggled against him, actually. He's just got that combination of uh, balance and strength, which few players actually do at his kind of size. Even though he's not above six foot, he feels big. I was quite pleasantly surprised that that is a card that's come into the usability bracket if you like and someone was using him effectively in weekend league and, and there's that Verdi as well who's maybe not quite so tanky of course but does have a massive boost as well and they get a perfect link to each other so it's not too difficult to fit them in uh, I thought that was quite a good move from them I wish you know the likes of Chan had been given that kind of upgrade and and had that kind of card in terms of usability I think that would have been much more suitable you know this card's only 150k that's nothing compared to grinding to level yeah. 30 is it but let's move on yeah. from talking about the power curve we've talked about it quite a bit this is something that's interesting to discuss in terms of this year's players, but also feeds into broader knowledge about selecting players for back threes, because Lewis Swift is asking, which centre-backs, if you could pick any in the game, regardless of chemistry, would you put in your back three? I, I mean, I think you could go out and get Kempembe, Saar, and Langlet, and you'll be great. For three at the backs, you need pacey player. You don't really necessarily need like quite the physical ability other than for your central center back but you want pacey players with strong interceptions and tackling and then i think it's important for them to have good passing abilities so there's a plethora of players out there that fit that mold the if they have high agility and reactions that's great it's not as necessary for the central cb but for the outside cbs it certainly helps i mean beyond that there's just like a treasure trove of french or La Liga options that you can use at this point. I was going to say though, surely Lengle, maybe if he played in the center, he'd be all right, but he has got sub 80 agility and balance, I think, even uh, though he might have fine. max he's, pace. Because if you've got two left footers, isn't one of the left footers going to go in the center? Well, I'm thinking is maybe someone like Ramos would be better because he's got higher agility. Lengle, sure. I think he's awesome in the center, right? He's got maxed out stats with an anchor style, unreal passing envision so he can ping any pass that he wants on the pitch ramos's team of the season card is arguably the best defender in the game or potentially best center back that's mm. ever been released on fifa so like sure if you can get him in he's great my my personal favorite center back is that malang sar card i absolutely i just absolutely yeah. love him he's 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 just so much fun to use he's also so stocky isn't he he's, he's very wide body type yeah, he's wide body, but he's got like 96 agility, 95 reactions. You put a shadow, he's got maxed out pace. He's already got 97 base strength. His short passing is 93. His long passing is 87. He's got 79 vision, all things which are fine. He's got 86 crossing if you feel like getting crazy with him as an outside back. And then 99 composure. I just think he's he's just like so fun. And for the price that you had to pay for him when he came out like the links maybe weren't were a little tricky at the time but he's he's awesome he's super super can fun. you stop saying how good he is because i really regret not doing him <laughs> he's probably yeah, the one player also, i i play against him all the time not all the time but when i do play against him I'm like wow like he's a beast i i noticed him i didn't do it on my xbox account because i've missed all my coins the icons but it just makes it interesting i wonder if i was gonna ask japes that considering if you played three at the back have you ever considered using fullbacks at center back this is something that i tested out this 
yeah, I you used Mendy and Kyle Walker for a good good month or so at full. I uh, allowed him to play a high line, press higher, and the added agility more more so coming from Mendy compared to the centre backs that I was trying to use. Obviously, the elite of the elite were too expensive, but I didn't like I didn't really like Varane uh, that much. Uh, Militao was too weak um, and not just quick enough. So I was wondering if you were playing through the back at the start of the game, would you ever consider using yes. fullbacks? Uh, yeah. Oh, a thousand percent, yes. So I would, I oftentimes at the beginning of the game, if I want to play a three back, I go pick up that center back Lothar Mateos and spend a huge chunk of my coins. And it gives me the flexibility to do that and use those outside backs. For me, at the very beginning of the game, and still even now that he's got a team of the season card, like Carvajal is outrageous as a center back. Mm -hmm. And especially as like an outside back and a back three, he is absolutely outrageous. Danilo as well is fantastic as a center back and a back three. So I certainly, yes, like David Alaba, players like that that are a little bit maybe like bulkier, like you said, Mendy, Kyle Walker, some like stronger physical players. but this year, like with the lack of crossing, you could have used like a variety of players at center back and been fine. Mm-hmm. But that is definitely, definitely something to consider. It's just what's tricky is if you're going to use your fullbacks as center backs in your back three, then you have a center back that you have to be able to play probably in the midfield. And mm-hmm. that's where it can get tricky. Or you can use one of your like what I often did was use my right back, who was Javier Zanetti's prime card for the longest time. That I got from Icon Swaps one, I used him as a center back, and then I would play Alfonso Davies or whoever my left back was as my left mid. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Marcus, actually, because this is something that I was going to bring up with that question, but I forgot. You're probably going to anyway end up playing one of your fullbacks as a center back, so you only really need two center backs to play in your back three who start as center backs. And as we were just saying, I think you actually really only need one who's very, very quick and very agile um, so they can play, say, on the left side or the right side because if you have a slightly less agile center back you could just put them in the middle and they're slightly less exposed there and then you've got a full back as the other one it's actually not too difficult to well it's definitely not difficult at this stage of the game but even earlier in the cycle by doing that you do tend to find that you've got players who can play those positions it'll certainly be interesting to see how things go next year in terms of that i'm sure our three at the back correspondent japes will be <laughs> well across those things as, uh, as it develops well i just hope real quick i just hope that next year they don't have this broken pass down the line mm. that makes playing a three at, best, oh, three at the yeah, back like incredibly challenging. Uh, how would you deal with that? Because even a four at the back, I still struggle. Like if you play a high aggressive line with a three at the back, you just accept the fact that they're going to be able to play that pass and that you're going to have to do a good job defending one-on-one with your outside center back against whoever they're left attacking mid or right attacking mid, whatever side it's on. It's just a, it's a, it's a silly broken pass. And like you see it all the time, for like pro players and i'm sure you can attest to this like if they don't know what to do they just sort of try to like shimmy shake with their left back or right back and just get that like inch of space and just ping a ball down the line and it goes to their player more often than not that's true japes just to close out this episode you have been trying out 433 variants right i was kind of interested to know 4332 yes 4332 i love that um which is interesting (laughs) could we quickly wrap up with a little bit of thoughts from you we probably don't actually have time to go into too much depth on it now but you could certainly uh, give people a rundown of how it's been and uh, yeah. I guess maybe sharing your tactics on Twitter if you've liked them. Yeah, so I shared my my tactics probably a week ago on Twitter, but oh, yeah. it's fun. I'm playing press on possession loss, so really inspired by like, a, shall we say, Liverpool-esque style where I've got uh, outside the left wing, right wing are 
get in behind, cut inside. Center forward is on stay central, false nine, stay forward. LCM, RCM are stay outside the box. CDM is stay back, stay central. I believe I maybe have cut passing lanes. I can't remember that. Um, And then everybody across the back line is just default. But press on possession loss is key. I think I have three width attacking, seven for players getting the box. I'm playing on 10 depth and four width defensively. So it's, uh, it's different. I think last weekend I hit... 23 and 2 when I stopped playing. This weekend I played to 20 and 3 maybe um using it. So it works. I mean I that said it's not going to work as well as like a 4231 narrow. So you know, depending on what you're into, like it's still quite a bit of fun until you play against top players that you know know how to kind of exploit what's missing in that formation. But 4-3-3, I think the only reason that that playstyle sort of works this year is because you have a lot of cards that are on like 99 stamina now. So you can actually sort of play press on possession loss without Mm -hmm. sacrificing your stamina to like a wild, wild extent. And I would say press on possession loss works best for your 4-3-3 variant formations, at least for me, because your left wing, right wing need to be able to press their left back or right back. Mm -hmm. I might get real wild and try to play like a four three three four or something like that this weekend and get crazy with my attacking, but you know, only time will tell. Mm. There, I'm happy that you brought that up actually, because uh, with the four three three, because I actually played uh, false nine back in January. So this was you know a bit. I was a bit ahead behind the power curve, and I was playing false nine in the qualifier. I got, I think, I was two games away from qualifying, and my team was basically I shot, I sold everything for team of the Messi. We went to center forward, and then my back line was just Mendy, Walker. I had the flashback Marcelo on just uh, complete overlap. I had my two center mids on get forward, uh, free roam, uh, obviously Messi on false nine. Uh, very similar tactics to you on the wing, press on possession loss. I think I was on eight with eight depth, which really tested my right six switching capabilities and also the board down yeah. the line when it was becoming the meta. But... It's definitely viable, and it, it just it really shocks people when you, you play that. They almost go into shock instantly, and they think, oh, this should be, I should score. This should be a free game. But especially now in this part of FIFA where you have crazy good cards for both teams, if you can consistently stop their counterattacks over and over and over again, it, you can just almost suffocate them into their own half and then just pick them apart. And then once you get that and you stop the kickoff, you can completely take control of the game completely. And it's such a nice feeling compared to just, Maybe scoring a lucky goal inside the box, and then going into your four two three one shape and drop up um, and drop back, and then just kind of playing slow, slow. It's such a nice feeling to be able to completely dominate games, and that's yeah. So playing like a real, like a more realistic style is more fun, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent for me. That's, that's I've always been that way. Yeah, attacking, having attacking fullbacks is something that's so fun to have until you play someone that is like very happy to exploit it i think the other tricky part is nowadays you have to be truly truly exceptional at reading manually reading your opponent's counterattacks because every player that you come up against is going to have practically maxed out passing and be able to make any pass in the game so if you don't read it well the pass is just going to go through and if you're not right stick switching at a crazy fast rate and if you look at the tournament that took place over the weekend like was it only lito that won i believe And he, I would say, like, watching his gameplay, the thing that impressed me the most is, like, he right-stick switches defensively like I've almost never seen and is able to put insane amounts of pressure on that throws so many players off. Being able to do that with um, basically minimal mistakes over so many legs is is incredible. And that's, like, something I always aim towards because I think if, if you can hit that level, it can allow you to 
basically play at such a high pr uh, press level because they, yeah, that's really the difference. Um, as soon as you make one slight mistake with your right six switching or even you're just defending and you're playing that kind of 4-3-3 high press, high line, uh, you will concede compared to if you make a mistake in a 4-2-3-1 and you're, you're, you're dropped back and you might get lucky with an air block or you have a teammate come and help you out because the team's much more compact. So it really hits that level where um, it always forces you to get better, but also it exploits the weaknesses and mistakes of your gameplay defensively a lot as well. So I, I really enjoy it, and it's something I'll be going back to, uh, to this week with the icons, just full icon, 4 3 3 and just uh, just enjoy it. Enjoy the game, not just uh, play 4 3 3 on Look forever. At you, you're you know? a wild man. You're a wild man. <laughs> Who was the best icon you got to wrap us up? Uh, um, Grincha was the best one. Grincha was the best one, uh, but I've been using Grincha, Kaka, uh, my midfield this week. It's been Essien holding it down, then I've been rotating Socrates, Seedorf, and Lampard through there. Zambrotto and uh, Roberto Carlos, I'm glad I got them, and they've always been on get forward, always. I, I really enjoy it. It's, it's just, I don't know, maybe I'm different to a lot of the other like pro players, but I'm able to separate myself from when I'm fully sweating and trying to win with all the glitches and when I'm just trying to enjoy FIFA for what it is. Mm, um, yeah. I think I'm lucky in that sense because I feel like a lot of people maybe want to do that and they just can't do it. They can't drop their pride or their ego or whatever it is. So mm. well, I'm grateful and yeah. Yeah, it's, dude, you you do like an exceptional job of being able to like adjust your mentality and expectations. And to those of you guys that are like able to keep it super, super chill when you're not using the best players, like I think you're probably better off for it in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And actually, that this is a really good lead into Marcus, your streams, right? People can catch those. Yeah, yeah, I do stream at uh, twitch.tv Marcus underscore Gomes. Uh, I try to be as accommodating to all time zones uh i do stream um i plan to run two accounts this year basically i'm an xbox man so that will be where we try to you know sweat it out and be the best in the world and then the playstation will be where i almost go to relax and remember why i started playing fifa and why i really enjoy just playing like fifa and not trying to just exploit everything possible so great uh, that's basically what i'm doing now on both accounts but yeah that's the plan and he's and he's well worth a follow on Twitter as well. Yeah, of course, and, and follow on Twitter as well. Is it the same address? Yeah, um, Gomes. It's uh, Marcus Gomes FIFA on uh, on Twitter, and then all the links are, are there. But yeah, it is uh, is Gomes. I do get Gomez a lot, but it is Andre Gomes. Is perfect. Well, thank you very much for making your debut. Um, a great debut as well. I feel like we uh, we got a lot of uh, tips from you, and um, yeah, a lot of interesting insights as well. So thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thank you. That was a really interesting discussion. I could I feel like I could talk about this stuff forever because um, yeah, so yeah. aspects to thank you for having me on and be able to express like uh, my thoughts. No, no, it's fantastic to have you. And as always, Japes, we don't take you for granted, of course. Thank you very yeah. much for stopping by. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure, as always. Really enjoyed the discussion and looking forward to more to come yeah, yeah. over the remainder of the summer as we lead into the mm. game that is FIFA 21. Indeed. Well, that wraps it up. A huge thanks to both of you for coming on. A huge thanks to all you listeners out there and those supporters for keeping it going. A reminder that you can, of course, become a supporter even now. Uh, $3 for double the amount of bonus podcast content, including next week's foot information pod on formations and tactics, etc. For now, though, a huge thanks to all you supporters and to those icon patrons. Dave B, DJ FIFA player, Hugh J, Thomas, Alan G, Hunter B, Alistair, Martin M, Chris W, Matt L, Harry P, Sam B, Dean M, David S, 
Robbie S, Tom B, Jordan, Paul S, Yannick H, Rich T, Stephen F, Kieran M, Andrew L M, Nick Jack M, Christopher R, Damon H, Tenacious C, Jonathan P, Lee A, Paul, Dominic, Rob P, Michael, Adam W, Stephen M, David, Anthony R, Pobius, also ran, Jeff B, Roger D, Foot AST, Dan W, Jason B, Matt H, Savage P, at Pace of a Tortoise, and Sam MG. A huge thanks, as always, for supporting the pod, and I'll look forward to catching you on the next one. When was the last time you thought about your batteries? I mean, that's what they do, right? Stay unnoticed, unseen, shoved in a battery compartment, and click, your stuff works. But you're going to be thinking about this one. Duracell Optimum, the battery that can make your devices work even better than copper top. Toothbrushes, faster. Screwdrivers, faster. RC cars, yeah. An upgrade without upgrading. So just this one time, do you and your devices a favor and upgrade to the power of Duracell Optimum. From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit penfed.org slash powercash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. 